Welcome to Season 7 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our new partnership with Last Word on Sports. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature part one of the best of season seven. And I decided to do a commercial parody entitled Dan Quayle's Vice Presidential Alphabets. <laughs> I'll run buck naked at high noon at the quad if they, and he says, you got to bet. It was special, you know, like I felt for those kids because, you know, it was a, it was a dream of mine to do the commencement speech. It was a great experience. And I can't say, you know, I wasn't uncomfortable in the beginning. I, I tip my hat to these guys. It's a lot of work. Those first two days of the term are absolutely murder. Mm. Uh, 16 games on Thursday, 16 games on Friday. Of all the interviews I've done, the one with Jason Benetti stands out because of the many twists and turns it took. Whether it was talking baseball, working with Steve Stone, and the difficulties of dealing with cerebral palsy, Benetti was upfront, honest, and refreshing. But one avenue we took was humor, and of course, it turned out to be an avenue full of laughs. I got to do games at ESPN starting about 11 years ago. And my first real TV experience was on Time Warner Cable in Syracuse. Um, but the first time I was in front of a camera, we, in the early 90s, at the Churchill Elementary School in Homewood, uh, one of the class projects that we had to do, and I must have been eight or nine years old, was we went to the Cablevision studio. There was an old Cablevision studio behind like a Fannie Mae off a ridge road in in homewood and we had to create like a piece of programming it could be anything and this was right around i mean i'm eight or nine i don't remember exactly how old but i was still in elementary school and this was right around the time that dan quayle had gone into that elementary school himself or middle school and misspelled potato (laughs) yes (laughs) a kid a kid wrote potato on the blackboard and dan quayle added an e to the end of potato to correct the kid and add add one little bit on the end think of potato how's it you're right phonetically there you go and dan quayle basically his political career never survived it (laughs) and so the class project that i decided to do i was a big 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 saturday night live fan as a kid And I decided to do a commercial parody entitled Dan Quayle's Vice Presidential Alphabets. (laughs) And the tagline was, even you can spell potato. How did that go over? You know, I think I got an A. I mean, who's going to give who's going to give a nine year old that did a commercial parody a la Phil Hartman or somebody a B minus. Right. I don't know how the delivery was. I have no idea if the video exists on Betamax somewhere or whatever. I haven't seen it in years, but um, it, like forever. So 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know what ended up happening to it, but I guess it was good. I mean, I don't know. I like to think besides the fact that you have a great sense of humor, you're a wise guy. So were you a wise guy coming out of the womb? Uh, no, I was a really quiet kid. I mean, I was a very, very quiet kid. I kept to myself. I was like that kid who, when there was a multiple choice test, would go up to the teacher's desk. This is to no surprise of anybody. Go up to the teacher's desk and be like, oh, is this a typo or do you mean actually this? Okay. Right. So like I, I was a good student, probably uh, too polite sometimes. Like there was really no edge, except I would go home and my parents and I would watch like Robin Williams and George mm. Carlin. Canadian money is also called the loony. How can you take an economic crisis seriously? <laughs> the loony is down. Oh, how sad for you. Best thing about this war, it's on every channel. And every channel has a slightly different war. Do you notice that? If you don't like the way it's going on channel two, try channel nine. Maybe your side is winning over there. And Dennis Miller and Dennis Leary. And I remember a friend of mine brought over the Adam Sandler CD that had the skit Tollbooth Willie, which was pretty vulgar. Hey, hey, Willie, how's it going? Hey, can't complain, pal. How's by you? Oh, great, great. How much? The state charge is a dollar twenty-five, pal. That's fine. Now, should I give you the money, or should I shove the quarters directly up your fat ass? Uh, and I remember getting yelled at for listening to the Adam Sandler CD. So like I was a pretty quiet kid, played video games, kind of kept to myself, but I always uh, appreciated really good comedians. Well, this is one thing that we have in common and that is Saturday Night Live, which by the way, I don't watch now and George Carlin. I mean, I when I was in college at Southern Illinois University, that's when Saturday Night Live debuted in 1975. And there would be Saturday parties that would stop There'd be a lot of people at these parties. They would stop for an hour and a half so that we can watch Saturday Night Live, which was sensational. As for George Carlin, I consider him my favorite comedian. He's a genius. I've seen him twice in the past, and he was so ahead of his time. But when you would watch the HBO specials, I'd have to put him on pause because I was crying in laughter. I did not have the same experience of SNL starting, but I did have the same experience with Carlin. I never got to see him. I was too young. I mean, my parents went to go see him. I want to say at like the Star Theater or something like that. But <laughs> pardon me, I was too young to go. Mm -hmm. And so I never got a chance to see him. But I I, I got it. I, I think I memorized um, a couple of his CDs. I mean, he... The bit that he has about, uh, you know, everybody says it's the quiet ones you got to watch. No, it's the effing loud ones that you have to watch. Right? <laughs> and his ability with the language, like I derived a lot of uh, joy and kind of inspiration from his ability to take a word and to take, uh, you know, the oxymoron bit that he does and and use it for fun and for joy. I He's such a genius. So this gets me to thinking at a young age, did you also memorize the seven words you can't say? <laughs> I mean, I don't know where I learned them, but I learned them. I, you know, the, the great part was my parents didn't really, um, I mean, the Adam Sandler thing aside, my parents didn't really care if I was listening 
to comedy, uh, especially once you get to a certain age that, you know, like I, I watched Blazing Saddles when I was probably too young, but oh I love Blazing Saddles. I love satire. I love anything that takes what the mind normally sees and twists it. So, yeah, I I don't know if I memorize the words, but they're part of my vocabulary. I can tell you, having seen that in the theater, the fart scene had people rolling in the aisles. I mean, literally people fell out of their seats. It's amazing. And and it's funny, if you ranked like the top 20 bits or lines in that movie, for people nowadays, it that wouldn't even maybe register, right? I mean, it's hysterical. Yes. But there are so many pieces of that that are so subtle and or so hit you over the head. Uh, it's <laughs> it's Br Mel Brooks. If there's one person living that I would really like to meet, Mel mm -hmm. Brooks is on the list of, of four or five. When it comes to laughs, Ryan Baker has one about a bet and a dare. The current host of Chicago's CBS Affiliates Morning Show and a former sportscaster at the same station relayed a story when he was a student at the University of Illinois, where he would eventually become the basketball manager. The year 1988. It was the spring of 88 because it was March Madness, which would have been my freshman year at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Uh, and... You might recall, of course, you saw him sitting courtside when the Jayhawks won the national championship, Danny Manning, Danny and the Miracles. So let's rewind the tape. We go back to Selection Sunday in uh, 1988. Kansas was kind of struggling getting into the tournament. And I think they were still, it was still the big eight back then. Anyway, the bids come out, the fellas in the dorm are doing their brackets. Oklahoma was the, the big dog. You know, and every, that was the favorite to win it with uh, our, our Stacey King was leading the Sooners, Mookie Blaylock and, and that that whole crew and, and Harvey Grant, not not Horace Grant, Harvey yeah. Grant was on that team. Anyway, that time, one of my roommates was Stephen Bardo, who was the starting point guard for the, they weren't yet Don the flying Illini. It was just the Illini, the fighting Illini more than flying, because this would have been Stephen's sophomore year, my freshman year. That's a whole other story, how we ended up becoming roommates my second semester of my first year on campus uh, at Illinois. But in terms of this story, there's a lot of back and forth. Who's going to win? Who's, who's the favorite to win a national championship? I believe it was Amiri Curry said, I'm going with Kansas. And I'm like, are you crazy? Have you watched Kansas? They suck right now. There's no way Kansas won the national championship. You know, it's going to be Oklahoma. But I said, there's no way. I said, if Kansas wins the national championship, I'll run buck naked at high noon at the quad. If they And, I, and he says, you got to bet. And I'm like, didn't think anything of it. So then, you know, there's the first round, second round, sweet 16, elite eight. Next thing you know, after spring break, we come back. Kansas is in the final four. Of course, that year, if I recall, Illinois, I was, I was, I was the student manager my freshman year. We lost to Villanova in the second round that year we played in Cincinnati anyway we come back and, and everyone's looking at me like okay Baker are you sweating a little bit <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't think they get past the first round I think I had even said that 
And here they are in the final four. And this Danny and the Miracles mystique keeps growing and he's leading the Jayhawks to the final four. And I go, oh, well, so next thing you know, they, it's, it's, it's uh, semifinal Saturday. They win. They're in the national title game against Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma is a solid eight-point choice over Kansas, and with good reason. They have beaten them twice by that margin in Big 8 competition. But, Billy, Kansas has the magnificent Danny Manning. He's done everything for the team this year but drive the bus over to the arena. Well, we haven't had a player since 79 when Larry Bird put a team on his back at Indiana State and carried them all the way. And I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? So anyway, as you know how the story ends, of course, Kansas wins the national championship for Larry Brown. The Kansas Jayhawks have beaten all odds. They have lost more games than any champion in the history of the NCAA. And Bedlam reigns here in Kansas City. The Jayhawks beat the Sooners 83 to 79. But I said, listen, I'm a man of my word. As soon as the final horn sounded, they said, okay, you don't have to go to the quad. You, you matter of fact, you don't even have to do it. It's a gentleman's bet. It's no, I said, no, 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 I'm not a welcher. Uh, as my old uh, dorm mates and, 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 and Illinois uh, alums will often remind me that Ryan Baker was stripped down to his skivvies in a pair of Air Jordans and a down coat. And I said, no, I'm going all the way. And I, did, uh, I, I did about a hundred yard dash from our dorm, which was Hopkins Hall right there. It was called the six pack with these group of six norms from, from Hopkins Hall to the Illini Orange and back. And all I remember is everyone's face plastered in the window like this guy's crazy. No one's going to do it. <laughs> to this day, Stephen said, I, I learned a couple of things. One, you are crazy. Two, you're a man of your word. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. 888 for Mr. Duck. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Cassidy Hubberth is up front and center. She's working the NBA playoffs as a sideline reporter for ESPN. Hubberth has established herself as one of the best in the business. Part of this comes from her work ethic and desire at Evanston Township High School in suburban Chicago, where several years ago she delivered a most unique commencement speech, and it happened during COVID. It was special, you know, like I, I felt for those kids because, you know, it was a, it was a dream of mine to do the commencement speech. Um, I'd been talking to, you know, people who were deciding uh, the commencement speakers each year and unfortunately, you know, graduation is always during the playoffs. And so it was hard for me to, you know, do the commencement speech and also for it to not conflict with playoff games. Um, so I, 
when they asked me to do the commencement speech and that it was still going to be over Zoom, I was like, I have to do it. I felt, I felt so bad for these, these kids not like losing two years of their high school life, you know, and, and, being, and having their commencement on, on a computer screen. And so I just, you know, I thought, how could I make this stand out? And um, I actually, you know, hired one of the PAs that I worked with on, on hoop streams. And I was like, can you help me edit like this video, my speech and add some, you know, fun graphics. So it just stands out from like just someone talking on, uh, on Zoom for in their, you know, commencement. So you know, I, I think it turned out okay. I got some, I got some, you know, some students who reached out and I, like, that's all I really wanted to make it somewhat feel special to them after what was probably really, really difficult couple of years for them not being able to experience their, you know, junior and senior year of high school, which to me was like two of the greatest years of my life. I, you know, ETHS really defined like so much of who I am and what I'm proud about myself. I saw it, Cassidy. I have to say, in sports terms, it was a game-winning three-pointer from half court. Thank you. I appreciate that. Congratulations, class of 2021. You did it. Now I know this is not what you envisioned when you thought of your high school graduation, watching from home on a screen listening to a commencement speaker give her words of wisdom in her blazer and turtleneck from her bedroom. And I know it may not feel real at this moment, but in time, you all will realize all that you have conquered. But know this, who you are becoming is more important than who you have been. And being an ETHS graduate, as I can attest, will always be a part of you. Congratulations, class of 2021. We're all so proud of you. What was the response you got? From, I know you got it from some of the, the students, but people who see it because it, it's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's, when I said it's different, it is. Most people don't just produce something like that. You did. It worked. Thank you. I mean, it, I don't know. I, like, I actually, um, I had like a, a warm-up. Like, they gave me um, the uh, alumni award a few years ago. And so I was able to kind of like work off of, of that and had some able to like dig up some core memories of at ETHS um, to kind of help me work into the commencement speech. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I think a big reason why I was successful is because I feel strongly about how ETHS helped me like, chase my dreams and provided so many opportunities for me to explore this thing that I knew was inside me and, you know, like never look back. I mean, being able to be a part of the radio television film club in high school and call boys basketball games at the time um, and to have that footage and then to be able to kind of show my growth from that period to, you know, interviewing LeBron, I think like, that's um, those. I think those are the takeaways that I think resonated with people to see that, like, hey, I was I was you once at ETHS, walking those hallways, having a dream, and you know, like, this world can be scary, but you know, if you just keep your head down and work hard, you can you can achieve you can achieve your dreams. And I think that's like 
I think that's, I hope, um, what, what they took away from it. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We resume with the best of Season 7, Part 1 on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Iron Men are few and far between in the world of sports, but our admiration for them is almost unyielding. Take, for example, Tom Brady and Gordie Howe, George Blanda, Charlie Huff, and Vince Carter, to name a few. Athletes who have lasted longer than anyone thought. And then there's Chris Chelios, who played 26 years until he was 48, but he didn't embark on his latest and successful career broadcasting until recently. Now an analyst for ESPN and the Chicago Blackhawks, we wondered, what took him so long? That was all my fault, and I'm glad I did it. But um, I was actually calling when I found out ESPN. I had worked with them before for one of the Canada Cups and World World Cups. So I called them on behalf of my daughter because she had graduated, you know, in, in, from Northwestern and in journalism and wanted to get into sports broadcasting. And she'd done four years with Tampa. So when I found out ESPN was going to pick up the NHL again, I immediately called them and, you know, said listen you know just keep her on your radar she's really interested she'd love to to be part of that and all of a sudden the, the guy asked me what about you I said no no I'm I'm good I'm I'm really happy being an ambassador with the Blackhawks he goes well what if we make you an offer and I said sure you can make me an offer well they made a good offer and <laughs> you know it was part-time 45 games a year um and also they promised to work Kaylee into it so uh, the Blackhawks were unbelievably supportive, thought it was good for the Blackhawk brand, uh, you know, me representing the Blackhawks on ESPN. we got to worry about Wayne Gretzky down the road, but what about Alex Ovechkin here tonight? I mean, you're talking about a player that's done it every year since he started. He looks the same as he did as a rookie. He scores a goal, he celebrates like it was his first. Um, he's amazing, the ultimate power forward, obviously, along with the finesse and the strength. I'll never forget the first time I seen him warming up before a game just in his underwear and the size of him to be able to be that quick and fast. Uh, I've never seen anybody like him or play anybody like him against him in my life. The schedule's not very conflicting. You know, I do the Tuesday night games at ESPN. Most of our games are Sundays. And, you know, so I only missed about five or six games with the Blackhawks because of the ESPN thing. Um, I really enjoy it with Steve Levy, Mark Messier, Butchercross and that crew, the, the, the producers. And it was a great first year. Uh, we couldn't have got luckier with the playoffs, you know, carrying the finals and, you know, two of the best teams ending up in the finals. So it was a great experience. And I can't say, you know, I wasn't uncomfortable in the beginning. I, I tip my hat to these guys. It's a lot of work. You got to do your homework. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, the fans just want to, See me, Mark Messier, you know, talk, tell our stories, you know, and, uh, you know, like I said, there's always room for improvement. I expect, you know, it's a repetitive thing. And, and with experience, you get better and better at it. And hopefully this year, you know, I, I keep improving. And, and I really do enjoy it, though. And the travel, like I said, now that my kids are doing their own thing and on their own, it, it doesn't impede on any of their stuff for the most part. I texted you, I remember, and I joked with you. I said, why does Steve Levy always go to Messier first? You're smarter and better looking. <laughs> uh, that's got, got a philosophical way about looking at things. And he's really, he's, he's uh, 
He's intense, and I think we complement each other pretty well. But I think maybe because of the fact that Leaves is right next to him and he's the first guy he looks at, I don't know. You know, I like I get my jabs in on both of them, and they I'm like the punching bag though for those two. So I mean, Mess got six cups. Levy's been doing it for I don't know how many thirty years, twenty five, thirty years. So again, we have a lot of fun on the air. Um, and Messi likes to elaborate on things. He, you know, he's he's very <laughs> he's he's really he's got a very attitude that uh, I I don't I, I'm not a, a thinker like he is. He's a he thinks a lot more before he's going to say something. I, no, I guess but you're what... you're you're short and to the point, and there's something to be said about that as well. Yeah, and that's why I think it works. You know, again, I you know I think from listening to people. You know, this summer, uh, getting just an opinion on what they thought of me and Mess and how we did. And the, the biggest thing is that people want to hear from us more. You know, they, they don't feel like they give us enough time. Um, and you look at TNT and Gretzky and that group of guys, there's five guys on there. But, you know, they don't do the uh, on-ice uh, interviews in between periods. They don't a pregame. They, they'd rather give that, you know, two, three minutes to, to the players or to Gretzky or Bissonette or, you know, whoever else is on there talking. So, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, the producers at ESPN, they realize that now because uh, we do connect with that, that older you know, generation. And, you know, even though the younger generation hasn't seen us play, I, I think still it's a good part of the whole transition and, and now, you know, ESPN, and we're going to get better and better for sure as a, as a, as a TV station, too. Well, um, part, of it, part of it's personality. You know that. You, you watch TNT and the NBA, and you see Charles Barkley, who's, you know, nobody can emulate Charles Barkley. But it is all about personality, and you and Messier and Steve Levy exude that. Yeah, and I, I just look at TNT. You, you hit the nail on the head. Barkley, he got, he's got free reign to say what he wants. He can get away with anything. That Bissonette. Uh, as much as I think he's a little over the top, um, sometimes he's, you know, he's been almost let go a couple times for things he said, but he helps Gretzky a lot. I think he takes a lot of pressure off of Gretz by, you know, by, you know, just lightening things up on the, on the, up at the, you know, the desk. And, um, I think we just handle it, our producers, the management and directors, they're a little more professional ESPN. They always have been. Like we've got to wear ties, and they, they that it's Disney, right? So it's it's just a little different. So I think we appeal to the real serious fans. And like I said, TNT, you know, it's a lot of laughs and, and sometimes like hilarious. Mm-hmm. But for the, the true hockey fans, I think they they respect the you know the sincerity and the seriousness of what we do. Talk about endurance. How about Greg Gumbel? His broadcast career has lasted over a half century and is still going. He's called the NFL, NBA, Olympic Games, and has been a studio host, and most notably for the NCAA basketball tournament. So here's what it means to have this most enviable position. One job is probably putting it lightly. I know that there are people who will give their right arm uh, to be sitting there next to... uh, Clark Kellogg and Seth Davis on Selection Sunday, or sitting next to Kenny Smith and Clark Kellogg and Charles Barkley when the tournament begins, to be to be able to, to, to talk about what we've just seen or what we're going to see with them. And there are people who don't get that chance. And I am never, ever going to take for granted the fact that I've been very fortunate that, that to be able to do that. Every time, George, I start to complain about the fact that you sign off in the studio 
those first two games, those first two days of the tournament are absolute murder. Mm. Uh, 16 games on Thursday, 16 games on Friday. The last game finishes up usually at about 1 a.m., 1.30 in the morning. And then you have to be back in at 7.30 the next morning in order to be able to do production meetings, uh, do voiceovers, uh, rehearsal, uh, do research, makeup, all of those things to get you set for, for, for the noon starting time. And then you do the same thing again, 16 different teams. It's the same thing like in football. I tell people, you know, you, you go all week long making up these boards to do a football game. And you say, well, why so much study? Because number 88 last week is not the same as number 88 this week. Yeah. You know, and, and those things change. Uh, pronunciations are important to me. Uh, there's been all a lifetime of people maybe not completely mispronouncing my name, but distorting it a little bit from time to time. And, uh, and I never want to do that to an athlete. Uh, if I ever mispronounce an athlete's name, number one, I hear it from his family. Number two, I hear it from the school or the team. And, and number three, I apologize for it as soon as I can, because I don't think that's, that, that's, that's something light or should be taken for granted. As I said, it's incredibly popular. And there are plenty of critics, too, who also wonder, where are the games? Of course, they're now on four different channels at the beginning. And why aren't you going to this one? Or why aren't you going to that one? And I guess the one person who gets most of the complaints is you. Sure, sure, uh, because I'm the face, <laughs> and, I, and I don't, you know, the funny thing is, you're right, before, before this union with Turner Sports, where we were able to show every game from start to finish at, at a different channel, we did, we had to make some value judgments, this game is out of reach, therefore we're going to take you to this one, and the switchboards would explode, people in Kentucky, how dare you take them away from their Kentucky Wildcats, you go, yeah, but the Kentucky Wildcats were leading by 35 with a minute and a half to play. No, you've got to take that game to the end or else you're in big trouble with them. The voicemails that I would get, we're watching our game. Greg Gumbel's got to stick his big nose in. <laughs> and I'm telling you, so I, I remember at one point, yeah, uh, my boss, Sean McManus, the uh, chairman of CBS Sports, I would forward the voicemails to him. <laughs> And he came into the studio one day. He goes, Greg. I said, hi, Sean. He goes, stop forwarding me that. Okay. <laughs> he says, I know they're coming and I know you take the heat. But, but, but you know, those things happen. Those are, those are people that you can't, you, it's, it's the, it's the, it was the perfect, the perfect example of not being able to please everybody. But yet, at the same time, if, if the NCAA tournament is about anything, it's about buzzer beaters. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long ways. Oh! They won it. They go length of the court with Archie Diakono. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. And we always wanted to get someone to the site of a possible buzzer beater. And uh, it's like when I do a football game, you go, just give me a game that's within seven to 10 points going into the last six minutes of play. Uh, in basketball, if you have a game that's coming down to the wire and it is within four, six points, yeah, you've got to take the majority of your audience to that game to be able to see them because you'll never hear the end of it if they miss it. 
and they don't want to watch it in highlights. They want to watch it real time. So, so what we do now is we have the game going on. And then in the upper corner, we have what the other games are, what the score is, and where you can find them on your television. Yeah. If you're watching a game on CBS, you can watch this game on TNT. You can watch this game on TBS. You can watch this game on uh, True TV. Over the years, you and you mentioned you have worked with so many analysts and characters. You mentioned one in Terry Bradshaw. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Charles Barkley, who I think is not only bigger than life, he's louder than life. Well, yeah, that too. Um, he's also, he's, he, you know, a lot of people think, a lot of people look to him and go, oh, that big dumb Barkley. Is not, there's nothing dumb about Charles Barkley. I don't believe he says anything off the top of his head. I think that whatever he says, he has thought it through and that he knows exactly what he's doing and why he does it. There's no question he knows the game of basketball. The difference between Charles Barkley and everybody else is he says absolutely what he thinks and what he believes. I truly believe in my heart most white people and black people are awesome people, but we're so stupid following our politicians, whether they are Republicans or Democrats. And their only job is, hey, let's make these people not like each other. We don't live in their neighborhoods. we all got money. Let's make the whites and blacks not like, like each other. Let's make rich people and poor people not like each other. Uh, let's, let's scramble the middle class. I truly believe that in my heart. And you cannot say that for everybody else on TV, but you can certainly say it about Charles Barkley. My great thanks to Jason Benetti, Ryan Baker, Cassidy Hubberth, Chris Chelios, and Greg Gumbel for sharing those wonderful stories with me. And my thanks, as always, to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next time when we bring you the best of Season 7 Part 2 on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.